Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 today, but I want to just get, go back to verse 9 for the sake of context and read you this prayer of Paul. Paul was praying for the Colossian church. We've been looking at this for a couple of weeks. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. And here's his prayer that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, when you look at this prayer, as we've been doing for a few weeks, and you, and you kind of start taking it apart and saying, what is Paul asking here? We've already looked at the fact that Paul is praying that they would really get it. Friends, so many people go through life and they never really get it. They don't comprehend what life is all about. Even Christians who understand that, that they have sinned and need a Savior and have turned to faith in Christ as their Savior, many times even Christians, though they get the sin and redemption part, they still don't get the point about life, what it's all about, what it means, uh, what the trouble is with the human race, what the hope is in Christ and and. So a lot of people go through life just with blinders on. And they're chasing a fad or chasing a career or chasing uh, some new thing or idea or being sidetracked by the cares of the world or upset by life's disasters. I opened my browser this morning to Yahoo and was greeted with the news of the tornadoes that ripped through Alabama and parts of the south and the sad news that one town has been struck twice in the last ten months and virtually destroyed. And some people lost their home for the second time in less than a year by a tornado. And those kinds of things come ripping through and, and most people are left wringing their hands saying, what does it mean? What is life all about? One guy said he was done with homes. He wasn't going to have another home. He wasn't buying another home. He was finished. Well, he's got to live somewhere. That's not going to solve the problem. And so Paul is praying in this prayer, I want you to get it. I want you to see the big picture. I want you to understand what life is about. I don't want you to go through life confused and befuddled about the meaning of it. I want you to understand the impact of sin, but I also want you to understand the purposes of the kingdom of God. And I want you to know where history is going. 
And I want you to see your role in it. That's what he's praying, that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord, that our life will will reflect the fact that we're anchored, that we're not adrift, that, that we're not mindless people reacting to stimuli, but we are purposeful individuals filled with the Spirit of God, living life on purpose. We have a compass, we have a direction, we have a focus, we know what it's about. Paul says, I want you to live those lives worthy of the Lord. And then he gives us four clauses that relate to this focus of his prayer. So the, the, the main body of the prayer is, I want you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can walk in a way worthy of God. I want you to get it. And when you do that, when you get it, you will be bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power by His glorious might, giving thanks unto the Lord who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. These four clauses are each introduced by a participle. I apologize for the grammar that's in the message this morning, but it all makes sense by the time we're done, I'm sure. And in this case, you can kind of think of it as a sort of an ING word. Bearing, increasing, giving, thanks, strengthened, being strengthened with all power. And of these four clauses, I find it interesting that two of them are in the active voice and two of them are in the passive voice. Now, when a verb or a participle is active, it means the subject is doing the acting, doing the action. And when it's passive, it means it's being done to the subject. And it struck me as very special that bearing fruit is in the active voice, that you and I are participants in fruit bearing. It is true that we cannot bear fruit unless we are connected to the vine. It is true that the only reason we can bear fruit is because the life of God is active and flowing through us. We cannot bear fruit on our own. Jesus makes that very clear in John chapter 15. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. If you don't abide in me, you will not bear fruit. You're going to dry up. You're going to be useless. But by the same token, when the fruit is produced, it hangs on our branch. And that's the part that kind of, that kind of gripped me. I get to be a participant with God in producing fruit. My role is to stay attached to Him and let Him flow His life through me. If I don't do that, if I don't submit to that, there's not going to be any fruit in my life. On the other side of the coin, if I do stay connected to Him and allow Him to flow His life through me, when we come to the judgment seat of Christ and He examines the fruitfulness of our life, the fruit's going to be hanging on my branch. 
You're going to look at my life, and, and that fruit is going to reflect my connectedness, my yieldedness, my obedience to Jesus Christ. It's going to, to reflect, and it's going to be hanging from me. And Jesus is going to recognize that. Now, now there's going to come a time in future events when we cast our crowns at His feet. Because ultimately, He's the source of all of that. But we get to be participants. Does that touch you the way it touches me? My life is important. My life counts. It has meaning. It has value. It makes an impact. I can bear fruit in the world if I am connected to Jesus. And I have a role in that. I could also give thanks. That's something that comes out of my heart. Gratitude arises from within me. Those two participles are in the active voice. I'm actively engaged. But the other two are in the passive voice. There's something that happens to me or upon me as I live out this life that Paul is praying for. And one of those is that I increase in the knowledge of God. It's interesting that this participle is passive, increasing in the knowledge of God, because it is something that happens to us and in us automatically as we walk with God in obedience and commitment to His will. If you want to be intimate with God, you walk with Him every day. And you will grow to know Him. Oftentimes we think of our relationship with God as being somehow different from our relationship with any other person. And really there's a lot of common ground. How do you get to know another person? If you meet a new friend and you want to build that friendship, or if you're single and you invite someone out on a date to have dinner with you or whatever, coffee, meet for coffee, and you... Uh, you know, you kind of set out to say, I'd like to get to know this person. You don't really mechanically start out from the beginning saying, well, let's see, I want to know their history, so I want to be able to cover first grade and third grade and junior high school. and I want to, I want to cover their hobbies and I want to cover their goals and I want to find out their interests and um, I want to find out, uh, you know, what they like to study or if they even like to study and what they like to read. And, uh, and, we, and we don't set out mechanically like that. But when you're drawn into a relationship and you start the conversations and you meet and you begin to just spend time together, you learn stuff. And the more time you spend and the more years that pass, the more you know. You inadvertently learn those histories. You learn the idiosyncrasies and, and nuances that make us who we are. Uh, you learn how people, uh, you know, do, do things and you learn their sound of their voice and you learn their laugh. I was sitting in my office a few weeks ago and there was some buzz of conversation going on out here and, and someone laughed and I knew who it was. I know how you laugh. <laughs> I know how you talk. I know how you sound. I can recognize your voice uh, from a distance because I've come to know you. And I didn't set out to say, okay, I've got to memorize everyone's laugh at Alliance Bible Church. But I, I can pretty well pick them out. 
by accident, by happenstance, because of long familiarity, because of growing relationship. Paul says when you walk with God in this way, you increase in your knowledge of Him quite automatically. It's something that happens by close proximity and by following and by, and you get to know the Lord. If you don't know Him, it's because you're not spending time with Him and, and listening to Him and watching His ways. But if you live with Him every day, walking, you get to know Him. It's an automatic thing that happens to us. But the other thing that Paul wants the Colossians to know, and that brings me to verse 11, which is the focus of our study this morning, Paul wants them to know that this life he's praying for them is a supernatural life. It is not a life that they can accomplish by their own effort. One of the struggles that the Colossian church is facing is that there have come in false teachers. And they are telling them in order to be pleasing to God, in order to to live the spiritual life, you need to follow certain rules and regulations. You need to obey certain rituals. You need to observe certain uh, festivals. And you need to to pay attention to the details of this religious thinking. And you, you've got to dot the I's and cross the T's just right in order to live this spiritual existence. And they're distracting them from the simplicity of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And, and they're in turmoil. And there's... Two sides to this coin of the power of God. One is that we cannot live the Christian life on our own strength. Paul wants them to know that. You need something more than what you've got. (laughs) But the other side is, it does no good to try to live it by a bunch of rules and regulations, laws and rituals. That does not lead you closer to God. In fact, if I can jump ahead in Colossians for just a bit, um, I'll give you a sneak preview of some of the things that are to come. Verse 20 of chapter 2 says, Colossians 2.20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, Do not handle that, don't taste that, don't touch this, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. And verse 23 is quite profound. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. In other words, if I make up a bunch of rules, you should not do this, you should never do that, Uh, you should do this, don't ever do that, don't taste this, don't go near there, 
if I make up these rules, it sounds like I'm going to create a safety barrier around everyone, right? I'm going to keep them safe. I'm going to keep them pinned in. I'm going to prevent them from doing anything that might lead them off the path. And and I'm going to hem them in and, and get them to walk the line just perfectly. And they'll be safe. I mean, it sounds smart, right? Build a fence around the church. Keep people in. Protect them. He says it has the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. And here's the kicker. But are of no value against fleshly indulgence. It won't fix the problem. In fact, if I read my Bible correctly, it'll only make it worse. If you want people to do something, tell them they can't. We're wired that way. Make a law and somebody's going to want to break it. You don't ever say anything to them. You know, I'm amazed at that, watching parents raise kids. They come up with a million rules. You're guaranteed to get rebellion. Because it's part of our sin nature. The more do's and don'ts you create, the more trouble you're going to get. You know, and then, then you have to decide, okay, what do I discipline and what do I not discipline? How, how am I going to carry this? How am I going to enforce this? You know, if I had a do-over, I wouldn't have any rules. I'd just make them up on the fly because I wouldn't be caught so much. You know, okay, uh, you set a bomb off in the garage. That is not a good plan. So now we have a rule, but until then, <laughs> one of mine in particular, he's not present this morning, would never have thought of some things, probably, if I didn't bring him up. But it's our nature. And Paul says, if you try to live the Christian life through legalistic terms, not only are you going to fail, but it's not even going to come close to touching the problem. You cannot repair the flesh. It's lost in sin. You need supernatural power to crucify the flesh and live beyond it. Live above it. Live past it. You need supernatural power to overcome the pull of the sin nature and to propel you into godliness. And that does not come through rules or rituals. And the Colossians were struggling with this. And Paul says, I'm praying for you so that you can experience the strengthening of the power according to His glorious might. The power that mightily works within us to do the impossible and to accomplish what we never dreamed imaginable. So many people want to clean their lives up before they turn it over to Jesus. It can never, ever be done. It will, you will never get fixed like that. 
the only way, excuse me, the only way that you and I will experience the victorious power of God is to cast ourselves upon Him moment by moment and depend upon what He enables in that moment. And this is a present passive participle. Something is going to happen to us in the present moment when the need arises that is described in terms that, that are incredible superlatives. First of all, he says that you may be strengthened with all power. All power according to His glorious might. Now think about that. We're talking about the power of God. We're talking about the power that holds the universe together by the Word of His power. We're talking about the power that permits the sun to shine, consuming hydrogen by the hundreds of thousands of tons per second shining out to fill a solar system with light. We're talking about the power, as Paul said to the Ephesians, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, triumphing over death and sin. He says, I want you to be strengthened with all power. That's like saying unlimited power. You know, it's not power that, that, that you got either when you got saved, like God filled up the tank and now you've been draining it. Or when you got saved, God put in a fresh battery and now it's been running down. But this is present tense. Right now, in this moment, that you will be filled every moment with all power from God. I was amazed to, to discover that every serious commentator that I read agreed that the, the, the emphasis of the present tense in this verse is that that power is available every moment, in the moment, when it's needed, in unlimited supply. I mean, it never diminishes, it's never weaker. All the power of God is available to us every moment. He says, I want you to get that. Because if you don't have that, if you don't understand that, you're going to be out there trying to do this thing on your own, and, and it's not going to work. And you're going to be trying to follow these teachers that try to tell you a bunch of rules, a bunch of regulations, a bunch of rituals, and it's not going to solve your problem. But if you want to live triumphantly and victoriously in Christ, you have His power available for every situation. And He says, strengthen with all power uh, in, in every moment so that you might attain all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, let me just jump ahead a second. There's some discussion about where joy goes. Does it go with verse 11 or does it go with verse 12? But, again, most of the Greek students are, are agreed that it really belongs where it is in verse 11. And in fact, the Greek verse says, with joy, because giving thanks is a new participle and a new clause that starts in verse 12. And I think our people that divided up our Bible into verses did it right here. 
it is strengthened with all power according to His glorious might unto the attaining of patience and long-suffering with joy. God wants to give us patience and long-suffering, the capacity to endure, the capacity to hold our ground, the capacity not to shrink back, and to be filled with joy in the process. Patience and long-suffering could almost be synonyms, but there is a slightly different nuance and meaning, and if I can expand on that a little bit, some people have said that the patience refers to circumstances that are adverse, while the long-suffering refers to people that are adverse. Sometimes you have situations that arise in life that just put you to the test. People didn't cause them, they're just circumstances. The economy turns down, jobs are lost, Uh, Times are tough, money's not as available, contracts are hard to find, circumstances. Tornado comes through and rips up your home for the second time, big circumstance. No one's behind that, really. Well, there might be, but no one we can see. Circumstances. We need patience. To hang on, to endure, to be persistent in circumstances. And then there's people who give us grief, who oppose us, who bring stress into our lives, who make us sad, who frustrate our existence. There are pe- you have those people in your lives, you all do, to one extent or another. And Paul says you need the power of God to live the Christian life successfully in the midst of circumstances that require steadfast patience and people that require long-suffering endurance. And I don't want you to just screw up your face and tighten up your chin and say, okay, I guess I'll deal with it. But I, I want you to have joy in the midst of it. I want you to have His joy. Now that you can't do by yourself. You need something else. You need something from God that goes beyond human understanding. At the risk of looking like a complete idiot, I want to tell you a story that happened to me last week that it kind of illustrates this point in a trivial and yet significant way. Rowena and I were flying out Thursday morning to go to Florida to be with her dad for his uh, 90th birthday. And so we left early enough, thank the Lord, uh, because I was going to park my car at one of those remote lots where they take you by shuttle to the airport. So we got there about two hours early. I put my car in the jet and fly or something like that and got on the shuttle, got all of our luggage. We got to the airport. They dropped us off at Terminal 3 at the American Gate. We got our luggage out. The shuttle drove away. We're standing there. Uh, You know, I'm getting out the boarding passes and everything. Rowena gets out her ID and I go to get out my ID and I don't have it. I realize I don't have my driver's license on me. And so, I, yeah, panic sets in. 
you know, they're not going to let me check my luggage or get on a plane without a photo ID. And I don't have one. And I look everywhere, and I can't find it. And so I quickly called the, the park and the jet and fly place and said, can you send the shuttle back? Nope, you'll have to go to the shuttle center. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with O'Hare, but the shuttle center is nowhere near Terminal 3. It's over by the Hyatt in another building. And I thought, well, I'll never get to go through all that in time. So um, my next thought was to grab a cab. Can you pick me up here? No. Go to the cab stand. Okay, that's a little closer. So I went downstairs to the cab stand, got a cab, had to wait for that, got in the cab, told the driver, I need to go to the jet and fly place. I left my driver's license in the car, and I've got to get it, and can he wait for me, and then I'll be going back. And, and he said, okay. So we get there, and I tell him where my car is, and he pulls up by the car, and I get out of the cab, and I go to my car, and I open the door, and I look where I keep it, and it's not there. And then I look in the center console, it's not there. I look on the floor, and it's not there. I look under the seat, it's not there. I look around the car, did I drop it? It's not there. Is it in the trunk? No, it's not in the trunk. Tell the cab driver, open your trunk, because I got my carry-on bags, my briefcase in the trunk. I'm going through the briefcase, I'm going through my camera bag. I never put that stuff in my camera bag. I'm going through everything. I can't find it anywhere. Check all my pockets again. Check my shirt pocket. Take everything out of my shirt pocket. And all of a sudden, there it is. The whole time, it was in my shirt pocket. That's the idiot part. So I get back in the cab. And rather sheepishly, I say, found it. It's in my pocket all along. And I'm laughing. And I made some joke about getting old which was not all that funny, but because there was a lot of truth to it in the moment. But I'm, I'm laughing. And, and we're about halfway back to the airport, and he says, you know, at least you're laughing. He said, if that had been me, I would have been cussing and kicking things. And I thought, that's interesting, because it never occurred to me to cuss and kick. I was anxious, I'll tell you that, I was a little worried, <laughs> but what came out of me was sheepish humor when the event was all said and done. The one regrettable thing I had about that incident was, I later realized as I got out of the cab, I didn't have my wits about me, and he had left me an opening big enough to drive a truck through to tell him that the difference is Jesus in my life. And I wish I could tell you that every time circumstances are adverse, that's what happens. But I had been particularly in prayer that morning and waiting on the Lord, and I will tell you that He leaks out in unsuspecting moments. And that is a very trivial kind of thing, but there are bigger things in life that come our way when Jesus Christ triumphs through circumstances with unusual patience and unusual long-suffering with joy. And people look at us and say, where is that coming from?
How do you do that? And the answer is Jesus. That's supposed to be the way it is. Jesus said people are supposed to observe your life and recognize a supernatural quality. They glorify your Father in heaven because they know that what they're seeing is not natural to human beings most of the time. Paul says, I want you to know that you have a resource available to you every moment. You don't have to do this on your own. You can't fix yourself. You can't hope to get through this day with any similitude of Christ-like character. But you have available to you the power of God. The all-power of God. The unlimited power of God. Every moment who can infuse you with His power for patience and long-suffering with joy. And that is the, the, the key to living that life that is victorious and abundant in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're trying to, to, to do this thing yourself, stop it. Just stop. You're wasting your time making all the rules to follow and the rituals to keep. It's only going to wear you out and it's of no value against the flesh. If you're struggling with sin, trying to conquer it, it's not going to come through your determined effort. It's only going to come through your trusting rest in Jesus Christ and His power. When the moment comes, God, show up in power. Live through me. Be triumphant. And fill me with your joy. That great or small the problem, I can face it in your strength. And then Paul says, when you have experienced this life of pleasing Him, of bearing fruit, of experiencing His power, of growing in His knowledge, out of your heart should come gratitude. Gratitude. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'm not going to dwell too much on that, although perhaps I should. Because I will tell you that being thankful is a deliberate, attentive focus by faith. The old simple hymn that we may laugh at now as being old-fashioned and kind of a boring tune, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings and it will surprise you. There's a lot of truth to that. That we need to stop and say, God, I am grateful for these things. In spite of the fact that I am facing these other things. I have this and this and this and this and the list is endless. Um, this past January, I just kind of confess to you, this is one of the worst months that I can remember in a long time. 
physically. I, I just felt awful. Every day I was in pain. Every day was a chore. I was exhausted, and I really had some days when I wondered how long I could go on like this. I just really felt that bad. And I ask you to pray for me, and I'm grateful for that, and I thank you for that. God has been very gracious. And not every day did I experience the victory I'm talking about, because frankly, if you get focused on your circumstances and focused on what hurts, you lose sight of of the greater reality. And Paul is praying. He says, you're in the midst of some tough things going on, but I want, I'm praying for you that you will be giving thanks, that you will be focused on Him, not on your circumstances. There is nothing that overtakes us in life that there is still not more right than there is wrong for the most part. And no matter what's going on, we can find reasons to be grateful. I mean, I woke up this morning in my own bed, warm and comfortable, and took a warm shower in in my heated bathroom and put on some nice clothes and came here to spend some quiet time with the Lord in a nice automobile. The, The storms did not blow me away in the night. And I have a house to go home to today. And that's just, again, trivial. For all of the ill health, I have more good health than bad health. You know, when you think about it, I'm still ambulatory. It means I'm walking around on my own two feet. Whether they hurt or not, they still carry me along. I can still see an experience of double vision and a really significant um, floater in my eye made me realize how precious my sight is. And I am grateful that it still works well. We need to, to develop that attitude of gratitude. Paul says, I'm praying that that will be a part of this. That as you walk with him, you experience him, you experience his power, you experience fruitfulness. You'll be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. And it'll bring you to a quality of life that is immensely satisfying. Not only to you, but to God. As you walk in a way that pleases Him greatly. And it will give you great joy. Father, I want to ask this morning that you just drive this home to our heart. That you uh, fill us up with an understanding of what Paul was praying. And that we will experience these things ourselves. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.